China is not an enemy, uh, and I think that's important for people to clearly understand. Uh, China is a rising power. Uh, China has been a rising power since uh, Deng Xiaoping in '79. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ruthless, the variety program you love. Uh, today, again on the show, my co-host, Mr. Josh Holmes. Hello. Mr. Michael Duncan. Hello. Let's get right into it. Well, that was, uh, that was General Milley some time ago illustrating his view that China is not our enemy. And I feel like uh, he's validated that here this and week. What, <laughs> what a statement to make. Uh, yeah, clearly that make. was not an accidental statement based on his Liar. recent actions. <laughs> exactly. Like, like that, he was, that, that statement was uh, from 2015, and uh, now it's become pretty apparent. His sentiments when he's, he's contacting China and, and like, hey, this is a heads up. So the backstory here is a book that's coming out by Woodward and Costa, which uh, went through a, a whole number of things. But what leaked this week was that somehow Millie went around the chain of command and allegedly warned the Chinese, or at least told the Chinese, that if there were any sort of attacks or action by the Trump administration after you know, I guess this is in the January time period, that he would give them a quote-unquote heads up. Yeah. Uh, Around the civilian, you know, chain of command of our armed forces. Again, yeah. we don't live in a military junta. <laughs> right. So this is, I mean, this is as serious as serious gets. We're going to get into this a little bit later, but I wanted to provide some context to the opener there because what you were listening to from 2015 Knits together yeah. pretty yep. closely. He's just a weird dude. Like, just a level set here. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, have seen his testimony on Capitol Hill, where he talks about white rage and, you know, critical race theory and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, his quote, his quote was, I want to understand white rage. Yeah. Yeah. Not win wars. No, I, how about you just understand Afghanistan? Let's, I'll yeah, that might that. be a start, a start understanding yeah. Afghanistan. But in that clip that we just played from 2015, he goes on beyond that to sort of expound on the economic might of the Chinese and how, you know, their economic growth and their GDP. And it's like, very how normal, is that your fucking job? Very normal for, for a general <laughs> to be like... Oh, I admire China. Yeah. Here are the reasons. I don't want like an intellectual sort of thinking back through the history of China. Right. I mean, we got people for that. They're in the State Department. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're not you're not the diplomat. No. Like, you know, tell me about their military capacity. How about that? Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, we got a good we got a good show. We got Congressman Brian Mast with us today, speaking of heroes. Awesome guy. Um you saw him this week. He was he was questioning. He was in a b bunch of great stuff all week long, honestly. So so it's a perfect time to have him on the program. He's the gentleman you might remember. He lost both legs in Afghanistan, so he has some, shall we say, strong opinions of what has happened over the last six weeks. You're really going to enjoy that interview. And I want to get right into this very important news, folks. We got to talk about space. 
Yeah, oh, no, we're, we're going back to space. It's very important. <laughs> I mean, Ruthless is like the preeminent source <laughs> for space news That's at right. this point. It's us and NASA. Yeah. Well, we declare what space is and what's not. It's the black thing that's... The authorities. That's well, like, I, I, would, I would point out we had this conversation, and after we had this conversation, NASA redefined what an astronaut was. That's yeah. 100% accurate. And so we, we were on the cutting edge of the definition of space. Yeah. Yeah, well, we were, and, and honestly, it didn't take a lot because we all learned it in kindergarten. Agreed. When you get out from the surly bonds of Earth and everything around you is blackness. Yeah, space. That's space. Yeah. And that's why, so this is very, you know, uh, on the dot with what we had discussed. So SpaceX is set to make history with the first all-civilian crew launched into orbit. Uh, this news is from Yahoo. It says the latest in a recent line of space obsessed billionaires was set for a liftoff on Wednesday with three less wealthy private citizens along for a ride aboard a SpaceX rocket ship seeking to become the first all civilian crew launched into orbit. And it's, it's important to note, you know, not only are there no professional astronauts, it's lasting for three days from, from liftoff to splashdown. This isn't one of those like, Okay, you know, you right? See not an up space. and back. Yeah, not They're not, not that's a while. real trip. Yeah, and it says this is what's very key. It says Inspiration Four, the name of the craft, is aiming for an orbital altitude of 360 miles above the Earth. That's higher than the International Space yeah, Station. Yeah, see, this oh, is real space. That's real space. That's, that's higher real space. than the Hubble Space Ter- uh, Telescope. Wait, so SpaceX? That's is that Elon Musk? That's yeah, that's, yeah. Elon's that's Elon's thing. Elon. Go off, King. And it says at that height, uh, the crew will circle the globe once every 90 minutes at a speed Whoa. of 17,000 miles an hour. Wait, that's space. 22 times the speed of sound. I think that's space. That's no, space. That's no. space. Well, no, no. That, but, but like if you think back to like the original space flights. Right. That's what they did. Yeah. They yep. orbited the yep. Earth. Yeah. Yep. John, you know, that was John Glenn. If you're orbiting the Earth... You're in space. Right. That's 100% space. Right? Because you can't just, like, do what Bezos did and jump up there and fly, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a couple miles at a time. We're going to get so many DMs. <laughs> People are going to be pissed about this. And so this that is, wasn't it, space. But it's the truth. That is not space. No, it's true. That was the most fake thing it's ever. true. We're not going to apologize. Oh, it's fake space. We're dug in. And they pulled a, like, fake trick like Apollo 13 did for filming, where it was just, like, the, the, their ship just started falling so fast. Oh, that, that it they looks got like you're floating. Right. Yeah, the same way that Apollo 13 had. had right, yeah, no, I can down. get in one of those Air Force, um, you know, uh, you know, where they like see, see where they go to the they do that parabola. Yep. That, yeah. That, yep. that 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 sort of. Um, well, that's how they train it. astronauts. Right. Right. But that's fake. Here's what's interesting. You, you noted that NASA changed the definition of astronauts. Mm-hmm. Here they say there are no professional astronauts. Well, there might very well be after this trip. That's, That's right. right. I think they should all get the designation. I, I think mean, they get when, it. when you're so far, you're above the International Space Station and you're going 17,000 miles an hour, I think that counts. Yes. 100%. Anybody else a little surprised Hubble ain't out there a little further than that? I thought it was out there. I thought it was like way out there, like to the point where you couldn't get to it. Yeah, that was that was what I thought. But hey, I feel like we need one of those further than Hubble. I, I Yeah, that's another good takeaway. We need Hubble too. It's sad, you know, under Biden. The American decay. We, you know, I bet Trump would have had not only a space force. We'd probably have like Hubble two up there right now. <laughs> All right. So should we get to politics? Let's get into politics. So a new Quinnipiac poll uh, showed that forty six percent of Americans approved, and forty three percent. No, no, that's not true. I've seen. I've I've read this poll. He's underwater. He is not above water. 
He's underwater. And Biden, in all of these polls, it's like the third or fourth poll over the last, I don't know, I want to say 10 days, that shows him in a heap of trouble. And uh, it, from this poll, it says Democrats approve 88 to 7, Republicans disapprove 91 to 7, uh, independents disapprove 52 to 34. I think that's the big takeaway here. Well, so, but this goes back to what I was talking about before, right? Which is you got a bunch of Biden voters that are in the center left, center right of the electorate that are willing to give this president the benefit of the doubt. They cast a ballot for him. They don't want to regret it right away, right? But every once in a while in a presidency, there comes along an event that allows everyone and forces everyone really to re-examine everything. That was Afghanistan. And what you've seen is this drop now in COVID, in the economy, in foreign policy. You may ask yourself, what other than Afghanistan, what new information have people received here that we haven't had for months? The answer is nothing. But Afghanistan allowed everybody to go back and be like, you know what? He really did screw up the economy. Yep. Right? He really did screw up. This guy campaigned on being the guy who fixes covid and it's worse. Yep. Oh, it's Good soundboard. You know, we were told we didn't use the soundboard enough. I know it. You know, so I'm I glad. Like there's extra effort there. It's but I, great. But I think that's dead on is, is the issue itself isn't just Afghanistan. I think that was the last straw that made it in people's minds. Uh, okay, this is a pattern. This is repeated incompetence on every level, you know. They'd already seen that, oh, oh, now COVID is spreading even worse than before. You know, it was supposed to be the summer of take your masks off. Everyone can have a good time. We're, we're beating this. But no, now now things are, are the, the numbers nationwide are like at their worst that we've seen. And, and the biggest thing is, Monk, they don't have a goddamn clue what they're doing. No idea. You know, and, and, and the thing that's become obvious to everybody in the center of the electorate, you got your partisans on both sides. I don't think anybody's moving. But what's become absolutely obvious to anybody who follows this at all who has an open mind is that despite all of the hubris on the economy the economy needs three trillion dollars the economy needs free health care education we need to pay people's rent we need to pay people not to work like all that that's what it needs you're like really because inflation is like crazy we can't get you know anybody to work in our restaurants their supply chains are broken that doesn't seem right and then now, when you find out that there's just utter incompetence in Afghanistan, you go back and look at those policies. Right. And you're like, oh, well, it turns out they don't have any fucking idea what they're doing on any of this stuff. And well, yeah, and they also, like, you know, and part of the problem, I think, from a messaging perspective for these Democrats is they implied a mandate they never had. That's right. You know, that we have a 50-50 Senate, what, like a 5 they have like a five seat majority in the house. Yeah. But the agenda that they've like proposed w is like enough to make Bernie Sanders blush. It's Bernie Sanders' agenda. Right. Like he literally, yes. this is his the, the agenda he ran on. Yeah. And for what? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is as a Democrat, you have to be pulling your damn hair out because they had a unique opportunity to sort of break the Republican Party. It was in a very, we were in a tough spot. Last winter, we had all kinds of problems with COVID. We had all, all kinds of problems internally. Everybody was sort of fighting with each other. And then they embarked upon an agenda that is like a Western European country. Yeah. Right? It has no bearing on the American experiment whatsoever. Like they wanted to fundamentally take away your ability to, to have upward mobility in this country 
and be entirely reliant upon the government in your current station in life. That's what they're doing, right? right? It just unified conservatives entirely. So you, conservatives are unified. That center, I got a news for you, that independent slot of voters that everybody's like, oh, well, they probably lean left. They don't lean left. Nope. America is a center-right country. They actually believe the stuff that we've been talking about for generations about your ability to be who you want to be if you take matters into your own hands and you work hard and you play by the rules. People believe that. And that's the thing is, so from this poll uh, on the economy, on his handling of the economy, Biden receives a negative 42% approve, 52% disapprove. I mean, that's that's not building back better. It seems like, you know, when, when gas prices are like double, when food prices, when everything is more expensive... Folks don't like that. Who would have guessed? That's not building back better at all. No, and speaking of paying more prices, did you guys see this stuff on natural gas? I mean, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right? You get rid of pipelines. All of a sudden, you've got this green energy thing. You're banning cow farts. Like, the ideological agenda that they've put in our energy sector has significant impacts. And now you find out that natural gas storage supplies are 17% below year-ago levels, meaning... Guess what, everybody? You're going to pay a hell of a lot more for winter heating bills. Yeah. Oh. Is that? Oh, that's like a very cold sound. Ooh. Oh, I feel like the abominable snowman. It's a nor'easter coming. Look at that. Look so, at that. And, 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 and we're already seeing, we, we've seen so many problems already, like out in California where they can't even get power. Now we've got 17% less natural gas. And you've seen this administration has been just completely anti-drilling. They, they shut down Keystone. Uh, but Putin gets his pipeline. Yeah, maybe we can siphon off some of Putin's pipeline. Yeah. You but know, honestly, we can <laughs> import that natural gas. I mean, we laugh, but they're also begging OPEC again. I know. You know, like the Trump administration actually made us energy independent for the first time in our nation's, well, recent history. Right. And they immediately reversed this, and now we're, we're reliant on we're begging. We're begging OPEC. You know, remember that Biden ran that he was going to restore the soul of America and the respectability of our country on the world stage. Our allies are laughing at us. Our adversaries are definitely laughing at us. Yeah. Our opponents get pipelines and we, we don't have any natural gas. We got to beg OPEC. And that's the thing. It's pathetic. This article goes into from Fox Business goes into detail. So natural gas production fell uh to 91.7 billion cubic feet in the first half of this year. That sounds like a lot, but as a result, natural gas future prices have risen 94% since Biden was inaugurated. That's the biggest surge in natural gas prices going back to the year 2000. So in over 20 years, it's never gone up like this. That's another thing. Another thing on top of your groceries, on, on top of gas, you're paying... You're paying more for even natural gas. We're building back better. Building back better. So what's their solution? Three and a half trillion dollars of taxing and spending. Yeah, yeah. Right? That has nothing to do with any of that. But there are a couple of things that we thought we'd pull out of this thing. And we're talking about this this three and a half trillion dollar tax and spend boondoggle that they're debating in the House and Senate, which we've said is is sort of, at least as far as I'm concerned, sort of the Alamo of this administration's agenda. Right? If it goes down, it's over. Yeah. It's over. So, but including in this, they have this wrapped in this Bernie Sanders language of taxing the rich. Yeah. The rich only pay for it. Right. right. This has nothing to do with anybody. And they say, they, they promised on the campaign. And then again, just like last week, this is not going to hit anybody who makes less than $400,000. An abject lie. Yeah. An abject, complete 
lie. Even if you're not, even if you're dumb enough not to understand that in tax, taxing your employer means that you don't have wage growth. Right. I mean, if you don't get the concept of economics, that's fine. Yeah. How about taxing tobacco through the roof? Yeah. It's the single most regressive tax that we have in the United States. It really is. But I just got this thing. It's smokeless tobacco. They're trying to raise taxes by 1,700, 1,700%. 1,700%. 1,700%. That is insane. I never even heard of anything like that. They double cigarette taxes. So, like, you know, you want a, you want a Kodiak, you want a school. Brother, you better fork it over. But it's not like your people are sitting in the Goldman Sachs C-suite with a dip. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like right. That, that hits more than almost any other tax I can think of. Right. Specifically at people who are under that $400,000 mark. Well, yeah. And I mean, look, look, anytime you have unified democratic government and they're looking for revenue raisers, they always end up in this conundrum, right? Where that they say they're only going to tax the rich, but they need to broaden, you know, the taxes out to raise enough revenue. So they always find themselves in this position where they're doing this mental gym- gymnastics of we're going <laughs> to we're going to provide relief by lifting the salt caps. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're going to raise taxes on dip. So let's talk, <laughs> Joe, it's unbelievable. Just think about that. It's completely insane. It's completely insane. Yeah. And, and like for those of you who haven't followed, salt caps are the state and local tax deduction, right? right. Which means if you live in a blue state, you vote for a bunch of lib Democrats who raise taxes through the roof. At the local level. They're raising taxes at the local level. State and local yeah. level. Um, historically speaking, Democrats have gotten away with this boondoggle where they reward that tax raising by allowing people in those ridiculously blue states to deduct those ridiculously high taxes from their federal taxes. Right. thereby paying far less in federal taxes than they should. You know, I would recall, you know, in the Kentucky campaign for Mitch McConnell, Holmes, uh, a a number of pointed attacks from some liberals on the coast about how Kentucky doesn't pay their fair share. Oh, yeah. You know, you'll hear that quite often, despite the fact that Kentucky miners kept all their lights on for a generation. Right. Um, But, you know, all of those people vote in these liberals uh, who raise all the taxes at the local level, and then they're happy to deduct it, yeah, they want and to then have it. have the rest of the country subsidize their high tax state at the federal level. It's insane because the people who benefit from this are like the wealthiest. The liberals wealthiest. The so I got a yes. stat for you. This is just an absolutely great stat. Came from AEI, and I saw this uh, uh, tweeted out by Chris Pulliam. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with his work, but but. This is the stat I could not ignore. Repealing the salt cap in 2021 would cost $91 billion billion and give millionaires an average tax cut of almost $71,000. Yeah. Folks making between fifty dollars and $75,000, the people that Democrats allege are trying to help, would get a $23 tax cut in those states. That... Is millionaires get a tax cut of seventy one thousand by replacing salt, and then people who make between fifty and seventy five k get twenty three dollars. So it's just an abject <laughs> lie. That is just like this is wild. It's We're going to tax the rich. That yeah. is insult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're going to they show up at a ball it. wearing a tax the rich, hanging around some of the wealthiest folks at the most like exclusive party of the year. Like, oh yeah, 
we're going to tax the rich, except, you know, millionaires are going to get 71000 in relief and you'll get 23 Right. Yeah, I mean, Which you can use to apparently go to the Met. There you, know? you go. That'll get you two tickets to the Met. Get your public access. You get yourself two tickets to the Met. Thank you, AOC. All you need to do is rip off somebody's old wedding dress and scrawl some Chick-fil-A writing on the back. I mean, right. you got yourself an outfit. It's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, look, one of our buddies, he always, he calls this the unloading wallets of the poor to burden the to unburden the consciousness of the rich. Right. That's what it is. Which is what it is. It's like I deserve this tax cut on my McMansion in New York. Because I'm stopping the poors from using tobacco. Yeah. You know? Right. That's, I mean, that's really what they think. That is what they think. I deserve this. Ugh, it's it's disgusting. Stay engaged on this, folks. We can beat it. Um, we got to address California in large part because, well, look, we haven't talked a lot about it on the show because we saw it was coming. California. Oh, look at that. Ooh. My man, oh, pa- man. My man, Pac. Just to justify fair use, I got to say, I was always for the West Coast in the the rap war. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I think so. And uh, I think that was a now that for fair use, I'd say that that was a great song. Who shot you? I think I think we we covered a bit of fair use now. (laughs) Me and my girlfriend. There you go. (laughs) Great song. Just me and my girlfriend. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, look. Uh, a couple of things. The first is, I don't know if you guys, did you see Casey Hunt today? That, yeah, the thread was awesome. No, what was this? She, she put this thread on Twitter, which is incredible. It's dead on analysis, right? It was very insightful. And she just got ratioed to hell. Like even John Legend showed up in her replies yeah. going off because she completely nailed the big picture. Yeah, so I mean... It, so she was an anchor on MSNBC, and so you can imagine what her following looks like on yeah. Twitter, right? She switched over to CNN. She's the chief national affairs analyst, and she just gave some, you know, I think pretty eyes wide open commentary about how Democrats and their elites are basically separated from real America, yeah, right? And that Republicans are onto this. And what happened is one of the rising stars in the Democratic Party had to go through this absolutely arduous experience of a recall because of this continued behavior by Democrats and elitists sort of just not understanding how average Americans work. Yeah, he like lockdowns for the state, but he goes to French Laundry to exactly. hang out with donors. And that's, I, I want to read the first tweet in this thread just straight up. It says, CA Gulf, big picture. One of the top Democrats in the country got caught living like an elite while everyone else suffered. Elites versus the rest is the driving force in our politics right now, and Democrats have a tough needle to thread both in California and nationwide. That's it. Yeah. Right there. Well, so so the left doesn't want to hear that. Oh, well, it's not. simple and obvious to anybody who talks to anybody outside the bubble. Right. Right? right. Obvious. But it's also why you see all the never-Trumpers fit so neatly within an establishment democratic construct now oh, yeah. yeah, because they have that same mindset. Right. It's a total let them eat cake type viewpoint. Yeah. That is now entirely represented by the democratic party. And it, I mean, it, again, to go back on that AOC thing, it's why they're like, Oh, I can attend a ball if it says, you know, tax the rich on my dress. It's such while well, while everyone who like all the employees, <laughs> all the people working the event have to wear masks None of the folks who show up in their ball gowns do. Right. It was it's just like such a slap in the face. No, she, I, you've got I like saw Newsom, like you said, at French Laundry. Like. I saw the video of AOC coming in, and you've got the um, 
you know, the essentially the servants yeah, for this yeah. gala, yeah. carrying uh, the train of her dress behind I her, know, yeah, wearing, wearing a mask. mask. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so outrageous. it really just it's Marie Antoinette stuff. And and uh, <laughs> you know, Casey Hunt nailed it where you had Gavin Newsom at French Laundry when one in three restaurants in California are closed permanently. Dude, and these restaurants did everything to survive. You know, they jumped through every hoop. You know that he that he put up, you know, I mean, I remember they even, they even shut down outdoor dining. Yeah. It was like, go to outdoor dining, you know, we're going to, then they had to, you know, create ways to, to have seating outside and put up plexiglass. They had to buy just tons of plexiglass and then heaters and all this sort of stuff. And then it was like, Oh, oops. Then, yeah. Then can't do like, that. No, no, can't do that. So, I mean, look, other than the obvious, which we just covered with Casey's tweet streak, there are two takeaways for me with this California recall attempt. One is Caitlyn Jenner finished 13th. Boom. <laughs> Another scalp for the program. Should have showed up. Should have showed up. Should have showed up. For those of you who are maybe late listeners to the variety program, uh, Caitlyn Jenner was scheduled to come on and they had reached out to us. Yeah. They tried to book it. They wanted to come on and we're like, you know, <laughs> we, we think even, this is a sideshow. But, you know, well, even, let's, we hear, let's, let's hear it. Out. We slotted a special episode. Right, right. We, we added another episode week. Right. Because we wanted to be nice. Fired up the old Zoom and never showed it up. It was, and that's the thing. Didn't like, cancel. Did cancel. We were on the Zoom. Just didn't when, show up. When, like, the comms people all told us, they're like, okay, this is the agreed upon time. We're, like, sitting on the Zoom. Five minutes past, we start texting the people, like, uh. Yeah. And they're like, oh, actually, she's canceling. Yeah, yeah. long story short, then we just owned her for an entire episode yeah. and she it comes in 13th her. place. It's all about her. But I mean, look, I think we rightly did everybody a service there. Yeah. And in, in reminding people that this was a sideshow. Yeah. You shouldn't get excited about it because it doesn't matter and it's certainly not going to have an impact on the outcome. Well, sure enough, that's what it was. Here's the second takeaway I've got. Second takeaway is for much of the summer, this was an extraordinary campaign. Because it was run entirely as a referendum on Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Who was an abjectly terrible governor, right? The state under his leadership has had all kinds of problems. COVID. Homelessness. I mean, crime. The economy. Yeah. I mean, you name it. It's just all over the place. And he, it just completely detached from reality. It was a really well done campaign for much of the summer. And the margin on recall, not recall, was like one or two points. Democrats were freaked. Yeah. Over the last three weeks, it went away from being a referendum into a choice election. Yeah. Right? And when you give a bunch of progressive liberals a choice between an incompetent governor and a conservative, you have a different outcome. Right? Like, progressive people will vote for a progressive incompetent a hundred times out of a hundred. Mm. They just do. But here's the lesson that I think everybody needs to take away and pay attention to this stuff because it's happened all around the country. It doesn't matter how good your environment is or how good your circumstances are. Ultimately, what matters is how good your candidates are and how good your campaigns are. Because bad candidates, as we've seen many times over the last 10 years, can lose elections that are almost incomprehensible that you could lose. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking like Roy Moore in Alabama. Perfect example of that. Right. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, just for our listeners who, who 
who maybe haven't heard this framing before, essentially every election is a referendum or a choice, right? It depends on how the candidates frame the election. Donald Trump in 2016, perfect example, referendum election. Yep. You know, he spent the entire campaign attacking Crooked Hillary, Crooked Hillary as a career politician. Every single time she had a plan, it was like, well, you've been doing this for so long. Why haven't you done it? Why haven't you done it? Why haven't you done it? NAFTA, why did you do it? Yep. Right? That's right. Why did you give those speeches talking about open borders, you know, and, a, and, and all of that stuff? Yeah, he and controlled the He, he controlled executed the a perfect referendum campaign. And when you're the party out of power with unified democratic government, like, that's what every Republican in the country needs to be focusing on. That, it, it, entirely right. So, look, demand better, right? Pick carefully, select carefully. <clears throat> there are a lot of things that get you fired up about specific candidates, but think very clearly about whether this is a person who can actually run a campaign to win because we are in a situation with this country we can't afford to lose. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like he was done a, a disservice by his campaign not making the focus all the way through on, number, like, Newsom is at French Laundry when one in three restaurants in California are closed. Uh, there are wildfires nonstop here. You can't get electricity. You know, there's droughts, endless droughts because of all the mismanagement under Newsom, you just got to hammer it again and again and again. Well, it, it goes back to a frequent theme of the Variety program, which is don't take the bait. Because every person in the media, and if you are listening to this and you work on Republican campaigns, pay attention. Every person in the media will try to do the, the job of the Democrats and get you sideways on something that makes this a choice election and not a referendum of the Democrat that is in power. Exactly right, Dunks. Exactly right. I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, 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 my, my final thought on California, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I want, I want the libs in California to continue with this nightmare under Newsom where there's human waste and needles in the street, where they're getting taxed to hell. Uh, you know, they were all like, oh, I can't believe we spent $200 million on this. Good. Good. God knows what your government would spend it on otherwise. You know? Like, are you yeah, serious? Yeah, until they moved to Texas like and North Carolina like and San Florida. Fran <laughs> San Francisco's paying, like, what, $300 for people who say they want to shoot somebody? Like, okay, you want to spend your money there instead? But the, I, I, Duncan nailed it. It's like, the problem is, those they're like locusts. These libs in California where then they'll go somewhere that's nice, like Texas or Montana, and, and then they vote in the same policies right. that turn California into hell. But Yeah, I, I know it. I know it. But listen, I, I think there are a lot of good takeaways, too. Casey outlined a lot of them. Let's get into Millie. <laughs> Needs to be done. Good God. I mean, I mean... What is... I mean, if that's not treason, I don't know what is. I mean, I look... Why is a, why is a general contacting a foreign power giving them a heads up? <laughs> I mean, let me, let me, just, let me just read a, a couple of things here that I think... I think will help provide some context to this idiocy. Uh, Mark Milley, chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, assured the Chinese counterpart, Li Shusheng, is that how we say his name, of the People's Liberation Army, that the United States would not strike, according to a new book by Washington Post associate editor Bob Woodward and national political reporter Robert Costa. Why in the hell would any American do that? Seriously. Why would, why would any American do that? I can't imagine a scenario where you would... 
even if you believed that the president of the United States was somehow incapacitated, which he wasn't, even if you believed that the government of the United States was actually falling apart, which it wasn't, how in the world would giving our number one adversary in the world any information help the United States of America? I'm just going to read the direct quote from Axios where it says, and this is Millie. General Lee, you and I have known each other for now five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. Oh, like <laughs> the hell's going on? Our number one adversary in the world. What the hell's going? First of all, if we're going to attack, did I miss that debate? That did is- I miss the declaration of war against China? What yeah, the hell you know, is he talking about. I didn't think that was his call. I thought that was the call of the civilian government. And not the military. Well, uh, either way, we had a lot of shit going on, but I don't remember war with China being one of no. them. No. Like, that's apropos of nothing. I didn't think, like, I mean, you look you look at the record of Donald Trump, you look at the Abrams Accords, you look at the work he tried to do in North Korea and around the Middle East. He wasn't trying to start new wars. It was the it's just, it's just fu- no it's one fundamentally like more committed to making as many pieces. Right. It's fundamentally a farce to suggest otherwise. Well, and it, here's another. He qu- killed terrorists. And he tried to bring peace. That's it. That's what he did. Right. But Millian had not only one, but two calls. The second call happened on January 8th, two days later, uh, where Millie again reassured Lee that there would be no ach- attack on China. Quote, we're 100% steady, Millie told Lee, according to the book. Everything's fine. But democracy can be sloppy sometimes. I love that we have a general calling China being like, you know what? Democracy can be sloppy. Oh, thanks for undermining that. We basically fought like seven wars on that. Yeah, we, if we were just in your great system, imagine being China. Imagine being <laughs> communist China being Unbelievable. like. Unbelievable. Yeah, I'd get off the phone and be like, bros, listen. I just had a general you from the U.S. call this. and say democracy is sloppy. <laughs> High five for the commies. Remember when these guys went to Vietnam? Now listen to this. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, it is insane. This guy is, you know, he's more focused on just like promoting CRT and Marxist theory. And look at the debacle in Afghanistan. Like our generals right now are focused on on getting hits on MSNBC, not, not how to, you know, make sure our soldiers are safe and that our military is strong. Their focus is, hey, you know what? I think I'm just going to ring up China and give them a heads up, guys. Well, that totally that, normal. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, you put your finger on. Like, we had all of these discussions about our woke military system, about CRT in the military, about what, what does he call it? White uh, white rage. White rage. Dude, do your job. Do your job. I mean, I think we found out there are like extracurricular self-imposed sense of responsibilities includes operating entirely outside of the constitutional republic that we have have formed in the constitution like and what world would you have that conversation i mean in in a in a world where our country is going through a lack of national identity and cultural rot it's i mean i i just i think you know America used to be a place of moral clarity where you would never contemplate talking to a communist foreign adversary that sort of way. No. It just it would, it would never cross your mind to talk that way. 
But now we, 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 we've gone to this place where we sort of look inward about how terrible we are in the world. And it's like, you know, why do you think everybody's rolling us? Right. This. The Taliban. Yeah. You know, it's gone so far as you get a bunch of people riding in on goats and all of a sudden they take over our Humvees. It's just... It's really a sad state of affairs. I mean, the one thing that... And, and like, look, this isn't my favorite part of American history, but if you look at what happened to Michael Flynn, for example, what is the distinction between all of the allegations against Flynn back-channeling with Russians and what just happened with Millie in China? The only difference is... Millie with China was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Presumably, he's the guy in charge of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, and in the wake of like the absolute mess of Afghanistan, the only person in the military who gets fired is this lieutenant colonel who says this was a mess. But meanwhile, we've got the Joint Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs Joint Chiefs being like, oh, actually, China, I'm going to call and give you a heads up and, and no consequences for that. I don't know how Millie gets out of this, guys. I don't. He I, shouldn't. He absolutely shouldn't. He shouldn't. He shouldn't. There is no excuse for it. I think he's got to go to Capitol Hill immediately. And I, I think, you know, we saw, we heard, you know, Mask talks a little bit about this, about, you know, they brought the State Department clown, what's his name, up to the Hill. And, and the majority of Democrats allowed Republicans three minutes, three minutes apiece to con. This should be open. This should be ask as many questions as possible try to get answers from this guy because what you're talking about is literally one of the most grave departures from the way that our foreign policy and our military is conducted in this country. It really is. You know, so so just to give folks a heads up, so this is what's coming up. September 28th, uh, Miller's going to have an appearance before the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he should have to answer for all of this. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying no rules. Right. They got to spend a lot of time on this. And I, I think this is as important a hearing as we've maybe ever had, because it is truly I mean, it goes to it goes to a lot of concerns that Americans have had for a long time about deep state and everything else, about what people who presume to be like sort of career, either politicians or department heads or whatever, are really doing to try to circumvent the elected leadership of this country. And then, you know, you saw the media all instantly start pulling from Millie. Like, it was shocking. I mean, I guess we can't be surprised by their behavior anymore. But, like, you saw ABC, NBC, both uh, had segments on their news the other night spinning it in Millie's favor. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We spent four years of the Trump administration empowering all of these, you know, bureaucrats and, and lifetime members of the quote-unquote deep state as if they're somehow um, more in tune with what the American people want, and nobody voted for them. Nobody, voted. right? I hope we're having a wake-up call because even um, uh, that Colonel Vin Vinman, remember oh, he was yeah. the, he was sort of the center of that whole you know yeah. Trump impeachment, the Ukraine call, or whatever. He's called on Millie to resign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's doing it. Well, look. I, it, it doesn't matter your ideological persuasion. No, you're breaking the chain of command. We have a civilian military for a reason because we're in a reason. democracy. Right. And, and, and the people who make decisions are supposed to be accountable to the voters. And these people at some point thought they're above that, that yeah. they're more, they're the superstructure of democracy holding it together. Well, you're wrong. Right. Well, if they're, I mean, look, 
if that's the way it is, then we got a real problem. real problem. Yeah. Real yeah. problem. You, you never want a, a, a general from the United States calling the communists and being like, yeah, democracy's kind of sloppy. I mean. <sighs> Ugh. Ugh. Well, we're going to be following this closely because it ain't ending here. I nope. can tell you that much. Uh, I got heated. I got heated. I know I like it. You know what we should I do? Like this that. shit makes me so angry. I like that. You know what we should do? We should play a game. Yep. Yes. Yes. King, King of, of the, the Hill. King of the Hill. Let's go. King of the Hill. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So you um, you beat me in a very controversial uh, matchup last week. So you, you, you have... Uh, I'm bringing in David from. Yeah, you got from. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with Radio Free Tom. I feel like he's had a strong week. Wow. All right. Well, let's go ringside. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the red corner. Fighting out of the Harvard Extension Campus. Returning for a chance to reclaim his crown. Radio Free Tom Nichols. And now, in the blue corner. Fighting out of the undersubscribed Atlantic magazine and current champion of the world, David Two Dogs No Friends from... I feel like I feel like our announcer puts him especially back into that one. And again, I want to go into how brilliant that nickname is for from, where his like Twitter bio is like, if if you want to have a friend, get a dog in DC, get a dog. And he's like, I have two dogs. So congrats on letting us all know you're such an asshole. You have no friends. Oh man. Um, Wait, so you're you're reigning champion, Holmes? No, nope. nope. Wait, I am with from. That's right. Yeah. Okay, well, you have to go first. So here's the first tweet from from from. How's the mass civil disobedience campaign against vaccine mandates going? Seventy three Chicago school bus drivers quit over mandate. They caused a couple of days of chaos, especially for special education students. But Uber and Lyft have stepped up to close the gap. (coughs) Yeah, congrats. Congrats. (laughs) Who are all... By the way, independent contractors not subjected to the mandate. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's like, what a brilliant take. The mandate actually doesn't work. So congratulations. It's like, yeah, uh, thank you for these massive corporations for fixing a problem that government created. Just dumb. Just dumb. I like that. I'm going to just, I'm just going to just nuke it. Um, Tom Nichols. This is September 14th at 9.31 p.m. So you know it's good. <laughs> Here's what I think. <laughs> That's the best way to start. It's your Twitter handle, right? Of course it's what you think you pick. <laughs> Here's what I think. So far about the Millie business. Calls for him to resign are stupid. Calls to fire him are stupid. The call to China was a good thing. 
it's a legitimate question about whether he was preemptively countermanding possible orders from the CINC. <laughs> the last part, notwithstanding, the first three bullets are absolutely insane. Well, it's it goes back to my earlier point that these these people who think this way really believe they're part of this superstructure that is more important than democracy itself <laughs> and that they hold together our government. I just here here's the thing. I suppose it's possible for a reasonable person to think that he shouldn't resign until you know more. It's a Woodward book. Right? No, yeah, sure. It's, right? it's a Woodward book. So, like, I, totally. don't, I don't take anything that they say as gospel. So I suppose you could understand that that's... Calls him for him to fire are stupid. Okay, okay, same reason, I suppose. The call to China was a good thing. Good. In no effing world. <laughs> that's really leaning in. Is it a good thing? I mean, that is just monstrous. Yeah. Whew. Well, I wouldn't be true to myself in my earlier statements if I didn't give Radio Free Tom round one. <laughs> the the, uh, the judge and the jury looked within. I try, I'm trying to be consistent. Looked within. Well, I would point out, and I can't remember the Twitter handle that does the analytics for King of the Hill, um, but there is, it, I promise we'll give you a shout out here at some point when I um, remember to pull it up, but there's a Twitter account that does the analytics for all of the rounds of King of the Hill between Smug and, it's and incredible. Holmes. It's a pretty fair breakdown. You it guys is. both win, you know, about fifty percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. So, but that, you're not you're not claiming that the evening of the score has anything to do with the judge and the jury. No, I would say it you know to the unbiased unbiased nature. Okay, that in the aggregate. It all shakes out. I can respect I'm not my playing favorites. I can respect that. Okay. I'm ready for round two, but go I got to go first. Oh, man. I, gotta I, got, go first. I got a really good one. So I'm going to go outside. So here's the thing. This is a personal belief. Okay. About King of the Hill. I think that you shouldn't be a winner of a King of the Hill with solely one topic. I feel like I could win... Two or three rounds only on Millie. Only on Millie. Okay. But I just feel like that doesn't show the breadth and the depth necessary to actually be crowned champion. You're trying to fill out the resume. Yeah, I feel like you need to show a little something to be a champion. Yeah. Right? So you had to go real far down the list with this guy to get out of the Millie stuff. And I found one that I just, I, 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 I simp, the simplicity of it is just so amazing. It's an RT. It's an RT. Okay. The original tweet is by this guy, Jeff Timmer, who I've never heard of. It says, 30,000 Americans died of COVID in August due to the intentional and lethal stupidity of a minority of distinct minority deliberately and insistently perpetrating or perpetuating this plague. Hmm. He RTs that and says, there's no other way to say it. <laughs> cool. So this dude's take, this dude's take is that the pandemic is here because basically of the rubes. Yeah. It's the rubes. This is the same guy who, who resented the fact that, oh, I remember Ohio was doing a lottery. Uh, people were giving away food. 
um, for people who are, you know, taking the vaccine. And he looked down on all that, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. So the you rubes. can't you can't win with this guy. It's the rubes. Oh, I got this one. I got this one. All right, what do you got? He, he's been sitting over there smiling oh, at me this whole this time. This take is so crazy. Nuclear. It's in, Let's it, hear it. it. Okay, so this is from on September 12th. He says, how's the mass civil disobedience campaign against vaccine mandates going? USA Today reports that a dozen labor law experts agree that employees who lose jobs for refusing vaccination will be ineligible for state unemployment insurance benefits. If you are fired under the vaccine mandates, they don't want you to get unemployment. (laughs) And Frum's like, great idea. Good idea. Even better. Let's make these people's lives worse. Yeah. Meanwhile, That'll teach them. Meanwhile, we're paying people not to work. Right. And the rent and everything else. Unbelievable. Punish them. Gosh, it sort of takes, it takes the Radio Free Tom, uh, like, sort of disdain. Yeah. To, like, another level. It does. It's like, I demand the state punish these people. Right, right. <sighs> yeah, that's, that's. That's from and smug for round two. I figured as much. I figured as much. Now, he's got the third, and I'm going to I'm going to read his and the jury's reaction to the third to choose which one I'm going to go with because I've got three that I believe oh. are competitors. No, I mean that's <clears throat> the advantage. Well, yeah, he's you know he's tipping he's tipping his hand a little bit. Maybe I'll just be stone faced. I don't think I, I still got you. I can see those eyes. <laughs> I still got you. This is from September 13th. The U.S. is a polarized nation on vaccines, but it's not an evenly polarized nation. The pro-vaccine side is much bigger in numbers, vastly mightier in economic clout. Mm. And, folks, if you've been listening to Ruthless, we've pulled up the data. We've shown that folks who are hesitant to take the vaccine, it's linked to one thing, not political affiliation, not where you live, not by demographics. It's only by income. This is yet again from doing what he does best, being such an asshole, being like, <laughs> you peasants. You know what the thing We is? are vastly mightier in economic class. It's just like you mentioned with the Kentucky thing of like libs are like, why don't they pay their fair share? This is the same mindset. This is that liberal BS. That's a good sales pitch, man. The prob- he, he knows the judge and Jerry. The problem is he's right. Yes. It's an accurate statement. It's an asshole statement. It is. I mean. But it's an accurate statement. It's just dripping with disdain. Yeah. Like, why don't you peasants just wear a mask while I'm at the Met Ball <laughs> and do what I tell you? <laughs> All right, let me sort through here. Let me sort through. I think I've got something the judge and the jury is going to be particularly persuaded by. Okay. Um, I was going to go with this other one, which I will uh, I could get into after I win. Ooh, um, that's confidence. This is Nichols about happy hour time, about 5 o'clock. Okay. So you know it's good. <laughs> the Constitution was not designed to cope concurrently with an insane president and a political party that could block action against that president merely because it represents enough people who don't give a shit that the president is insane. 
It's called oh, democracy, Tom. It's called democracy, and that is put exactly what the Constitution was designed to cope with. Oh, man. <laughs> this is a good round three. Yeah. Uh, from essentially is presenting the unified theory of libs, where but, why don't you pores just listen to us? We're the experts. But we've been but wrong they, and you know flip flopped a dozen times. But listen, peasants, do what we tell you. You are right. You are right, Smug. I would say as a counterpoint, though, that what Holmes just read does the same thing in a different way. And it's back to that superstructure thing that I was saying earlier. And that is the rules, the Constitution, democracy itself, only those rules apply to us. <laughs> and, and, and the for, smarts, for the our smarts mor- can take care <laughs> of For our moral betters, the people of expertise like Radio Free Tom, they have the knowledge the oracles on high yeah. who can determine what real democracy is. <laughs> because the Constitution is not designed to cope. No. It's not designed to cope. Oh, the greatest document. The greatest. Suddenly the true, the true conservatives think the original Constitution's a mistake. <laughs> oh, man. It's too good. It's dude. so good. It's I, so I, good. I, I want to drop this one last time, especially <laughs> No, no, go right ahead. The U.S. is a polarized nation on vaccines, but it's not an evenly polarized nation. The pro-vaccine side is much bigger in numbers, vastly mightier in economic clout. Like, what is the implication? It is just straight up. What is it? We have the money. We could could (laughs) cut you off. Squeeze the poor. We could squeeze the poor. I mean, you heard him before. Right. He was like, they shouldn't get unemployment. You shouldn't get unemployment. You should crush the peasants. People should be removed from society. Yeah. It is more personal. That's that is a thing. It's definitely more personal. He wants the people to suffer and be punished. So so here yeah. let me just let me here's my closer. It is more personal and more designed to just completely attack people of no means in this country mm-hmm. than this one. Un- unquestionably. But this one is attacking the country itself. It's actually a greater threat to democracy at its core. Is what is what he is suggesting. Right. That is correct. Holmes wins. Radio Free Tom wins. I think that's fair. It was a great matchup. A great matchup. That was a tough one for the judge and Jerry. Oh man, I I oof. I mean, that was outstanding. And I thought I liked your presentation on that. You really, you know, the the, the more we do this game, you guys both. I got a you know tip of the cap to both of you. You've gotten so good at. (laughs) Yeah, being laurel, you know, lawyerly with your advocacy, right, and sort of construction constructing your arguments, it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> it really is. So, congratulations to Holmes. Thank you. We've got a new champion. Thank you. All right, guys, we need to get into a big interview here, um, and it's perfectly timed. Congressman Brian Mast, let's get into it. I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy. He's a congressman from Florida's 18th district. He's also a veteran of the war in Afghanistan, an important voice on all those issues. Congressman Brian Mass, welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Listen, man, I know you more than most have probably had a, a pretty emotional reaction here the last month, six weeks, but even longer with what the Biden administration has done 
here in, in pulling out of Afghanistan. Give me your top line thoughts. Uh, emotional, no doubt about it. Uh, personally, right? Personally, yeah. I've never been asked probably in the last 10 years since being injured, hey, was it worth it? Was, was being injured worth it? The loss of your friends worth it? The time away from home, was it worth it? I, I, maybe somebody asked me once or twice. I can't even remember it. In the last month, I've probably been asked 50 times by people, <laughs> hey, was it worth it? And that's, to put that into context, they're not really asking, was it worth it? They're asking, is it worth it now that Biden pissed 20 years of blood, sweat, and tears away? That's what they're, that's what they're really asking. Yeah. And that's what makes it emotional. Yeah, no, that's the root of the question, which is just heartbreaking, particularly after what you went through. Um, by, uh, by way of explaining for our audience who don't know Congressman Mast, well, you were a, a U.S. Army explosive ordnance technician who uh, I think is the case, you were, you're out working with the Army Rangers, and um, in 2010, you were injured, lost both legs. Um, so now here in the last month, like you say, getting those questions to try to put it in context, it's got to be just very emotional for you and, and, and thousands of other veterans out there. You know, I think the context that I put it in is this. We, we all have reasons that we join the military, right? Maybe family history, how much we love our country, the, the way that we want to be a part of the future of our country. We've got a lot of reasons that we join. But the, the thing that I grasp onto, and I know a lot of other veterans do as well, is that what we do in combat, in, in the heat of a firefight, strafing across a field, you know, taking machine gun fire from a dishka from an enemy, uh, you know, it's going across a field littered with improvised explosive devices, things like that. What we do, we do for those guys that are shoulder to shoulder with us. And, and that makes it all worth it. I always tell people, there's never a day that I would trade two legs and a finger for any one of my friends. And I, I think for every friend that I lost, their families recognize as well that, that they sacrificed in the name of something that they love, their country, and, and even more specifically, their brothers to their left and right. And, well, and that's, that's amazing. That's a hero sentiment right there. I'm not surprised to hear it from you. But I, I think, you know, in my mind, when I hear a lot of veterans struggling with what's going on here in the last couple of months and, and getting the questions of whether it's worth it or not, I think all of the dedications last weekend on September 11th really only validate the, the hard work and, and the sacrifice that, that people like you have done over the last 20 years, because, you know, it's, it's, a lot of people don't remember, but just about every year and a half, we had a, a terrorist attack on American assets somewhere and finally hit New York, obviously hit in 93 with the World Trade Center, but, but obviously then on 9-11, it really came home in a way that it hadn't before with like the Cobar Towers or the USS Cole or all the various other attacks. Bali Nightclub, exactly. you name it. Yep. Exactly. And, and, but what happened with you all and your sacrifice is it really took the fight in a different direction, right? And no longer were we sort of waiting for this imminent attack to happen at time. You all had sacrificed in a way that, that put them on defense for the first time in a long time. Obviously that changes over 20 years. But when I think of the sacrifice and people asking the question, was it worth it? We have no idea of knowing what they were up to next. And you all fundamentally changed that. 
But here was the 20 year change, right? And, and I, I've never had so much difficulty trying to, to put together a hopeful message on September 11, uh, a, a message uh, that, that makes me feel, man, you know, the future is great and bright in front of us. I've never had more trouble than, than this year because the difference from 20 years ago is, yeah, we got hit and we got hit hard, but we didn't wake up on 9-12 in, intimidated and cowering and curling right. up, up in, a th- in a corner sucking our thumb or crying or something like that. We were, we were clear-eyed, collected. Who did this? Who are we going to go out there and, and use that word that many have used, have that reckoning on and, and determined to make sure that that happened? And there's a lot that happened in between, but there's nobody. I, I don't think anybody that could go out there and say that we, we went out the way that we went in. No, we went out with an administration that was intimidated into, into leaving our embassy, into leaving Bagram Air Base, into leaving on a timeline that the, that the terrorists set up. The terrorists said jump, and, and Biden said how high and in what direction. It, it was the exact opposite of how we went in. That's the difference of 20 years. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, that's absolutely true. That is, that is a fundamentally different direction than, than how it is that we got into it in the first place. Do you think this, I think the, the answer is, is obvious, and you'll probably say this too, but it, it seems to me that this has far-reaching implications far beyond Afghanistan, right? If you're looking at China, for example, and their posture towards Hong Kong and Taiwan, um, you know, places that the United States have, have committed to try to protect over the years, like what do you think this message is to other, other countries around the world? So let's take it even outside of just Afghanistan and into a larger view of the current Democratic administration and what they're doing with foreign policy. Zero support for Cuba and the freedom in Cuba. We had a foreign affairs hearing before. Think about this. Just think about this. Uh, All of the Democrats voted against a resolution supporting a free Tibet. They they couldn't vote to to support a free Tibet uh, as an example, right? not supporting the freedom fighters in Afghanistan, want to make a terrorist nation, uh, you know, a second uh, Palestinian state, make Hamas a government. We're upset that we killed Soleimani, uh, you know, in Iran. And so let's, uh, let's bring all of that into Afghanistan. The, the, the Russians, the Iranians, the Chinese are not going to let us into Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, or anywhere else. So that means we are blind because we do not have any capability to run ISR, uh, you know, air platforms, intelligence uh, in that area. There's nobody in the region that's lining up to say, man, I saw how well the Americans took care of the people that helped them. Let me be a human intelligence asset for them because they really do a good job taking care of their people there. So we are blinded in the region right now. And let's take it to one other point. They have now, quote, according to Biden, the most advanced military weaponry. And it's not even the most advanced that I'm concerned about, helicopters and things like that. I've talked about it before. It's the the, the surface-to-air, shoulder-fired, man-portable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, weapons to knock down an aircraft, civilian or military. Terrorists now have them. The terrorists that the Secretary of State said, uh, hey, the Taliban promised uh, that they weren't going to let terrorists in the country. <laughs> saying what the terrorists promise they're not going to let terrorists into the country it takes a real genius to figure that one out but that kind of weaponry think about this um we're trying to work a deal in europe or something with the eu china doesn't want it to happen they get their hands on some some u.s army od green surface to air missiles they give it to some terrorists and they put up a youtube video of a european airliner getting knocked down messes up the whole negotiation of everything going that's the real kind of risk 
yeah. that you have going on in the future because they have their hands on all of this U.S. weaponry. Yeah, not, not to mention the psychological problem you have watching a bunch of terrorists drive around Humvees and, and carry our equipment. Everything from just like the distinctive nature of our, of our night vision, it, watching, watching them walk around with this on their helmets, it's just a, like a gut punch. It's a gut punch, but it's a real tactical, uh, man, tactically, it's terrible for us. The nature of the work that I did, I went out into the dark of night every night on missions to either kill or capture individuals. We weren't going out on patrol. We knew where somebody was going to lay down their head for the night. We were waiting until they closed their eyes and we were going to kill or capture them, however it went down. Having the ability to own the night, just like own the sky, that's a different ability. Now, if they can see us in the dark because we left them 10,000 items that, that if a U.S. soldier uh, lost one of these items would probably get court-martialed out of the military for, you know, this is something that makes Fast and Furious look like, uh, you know, look like a, a roadside show, um, you know. That's that, a, good that's a point. real endangerment of, of people's lives. That is a really good point. I never thought of the ramifications that a soldier would have for lo- losing, leaving even one of the items that they left thousands of. That's just you lost your rifle. You lost your night vision optics. Those are two real simple, sensitive items. Uh, yeah, you might get court-martialed out of the military for that. Yeah, they'll just give away tens of thousands. Of them. No big deal. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic, honestly. They're just an unbelievably bungled administration. So let me ask you about this because I know you're on foreign affairs, and I know by the time this airs, you will have a, had a chance, a brief chance, that is, to uh, interrogate uh, Secretary Blinken at some level for the wide range of, of items that he needs to be taken to task over. Um, what's your what's your thought process going into that hearing? Yeah, the thought process is I'm going to believe nothing that Secretary Blinken says because we know they go out there every time they stepped in front of a camera for the last month. It was to step in front of a camera and lie to us. If if Biden said, let me be clear. That was an indication that he was about to, he was about to tell you a lie. Let me be clear. I'm about to tell you a lie to your face. That's what he was doing. Same thing for Blinken. I already used the example. He said, well, we're, uh, you know, Taliban said they're not going to let terrorists use it as a safe haven, right? The terrorists said they're not going to let terrorists. And it's, I don't, you, you got to be let me ignorant to believe these things. Let me interrupt you on that point because I, I just operated under the assumption for 20 years now that the Taliban was not our friends, right? That we had no trust and faith in the, in the Taliban to carry out the best interests of the United States. And that yet somehow in the last eight weeks, there's been discussion about the Taliban as if they're a strategic ally in the region. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah, uh, you know, they're going to get them a nice cushy seat at the UN. Maybe next year they'll invite them to Davos and, uh, you know, they can put on some suits and, and hang out with everybody there, that kind of thing. That's what they're looking at. Obviously, these are the people that right up until they started jumping however high they were demanding we were out there making sure we're being killed that's that's how quickly they flip-flop that and are now trying to change the narrative or i would call it manipulating the intelligence this is a real question that i have everybody says how did they get it so wrong well you hear the accusation about biden very realistically trying to manipulate the intelligence of what was going on with the taliban mm-hmm. with with ghani the the president of afghanistan the exiled coward president of afghanistan that that ran away so if that's what was happening think about this coming up through the ranks Our intelligence assets, all of our agencies, alphabet agencies are trying to figure out what's going on there. And you have the president at the top saying, yeah, listen, uh, we need to change that perception 
And now it mixes up the whole agenda uh, or the whole idea of what's actually going on. Maybe that's how they got it so wrong. You know, it, uh, that's a real question that I have. Did you're manipulating the intelligence? Is, is that what got this so wrong? But to go back to, to Secretary Blinken, he's not going to answer anything, honestly. He's going to do his best to filibuster any questions that people ask him and just, you know, talk about chit chat and BS until the time runs out. Because, you know, normally in hearings, we get about five minutes to ask questions. They cut that down to three minutes. So there's barely enough time to, to say your name and much less get an answer out of I mean, a that, question. It blows my mind. Three minutes. I mean, it's not like we're not dealing with some sort of pro forma bureaucratic set of questions about like, you know, foreign affairs funding. Like this, this is this is tragic. This is an amazing event in our country's history that has far-reaching ramifications of where we go from here. And they give you three minutes? Yeah, far-reaching. This is the foreign affairs of the, the, the most powerful nation, or at least yeah. what I've always thought was the most powerful nation on the face of this earth. Uh, and we need answers to the questions of, hey, how did you get this so wrong? What about all of the lies that you've been telling? Why did you put up the white flag of surrender. What about the people that are still there hostage to include U.S. service members like Mark Frerichs? Um, you know, what about, what about uh, you know, all of the, the, the SIV applicants that were shoulder to shoulder with us as service members on the ground, uh, you know, them, their families? What about the way that those non-SIV applicants, other people that, that are just uh, Afghani natives that want to get out of there, that you shipped into other countries, and now those countries want those people out of there because they said they're totally unvetted because you did this in such a, uh, a backwards way that you didn't vet these people before you're getting out. I mean, there's a thousand questions yeah. that need to be answered. Thanks for the three minutes to ask my question. <laughs> right. You're going to have to be very prompt. <laughs> no, no even saying your name. Just launch right into it, right? You just got to get yeah. them rapid fire out there as fast as possible, I hope. Um, all right. and, and they'll answer the question well, let me think here, you know, and they'll answer, oh, I just used up a minute of your time. <laughs> oh, man, I don't envy the task, but I'm glad you're doing it. Let's, uh, let's talk domestic politics here for a little bit, because the Democrats uh, over the weekend rolled out the contents of their three and a half trillion dollar tax and spend uh, bill, which is uh, truly unbelievable. After everything we've been through over the last eight months, the inflation, all of the sort of sluggish economy uh, uh, pieces as a result of this continued unemployment extensions and pay, paying people essentially not to work, paying their rent and everything else. Now they come up with another three and a half trillion dollars and they're going to tax the heck out of the American economy to do it. What was your initial reaction to that? Well, one, you're, you're downplaying it a little bit. Three and a half trillion just talks about one year of a 10-year yeah, plan. So fair. let's really say That's the fair. math on this is more like 35 to $40 trillion. They're not just talking about doing this for one year, right? So you look at the things that they want to call it human infrastructure, um, basically looking for more ways to pay people to sit at home. I, I, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to just say something from 30,000 feet. You ask in my opinion, 99% of the people in this world, they tell me one of the most memorable things in your life. And they're probably not going to tell you something that was super easy that they just walked right through. They're right. going to tell you like a difficult, painstaking moment they had to prep for, they had to prepare for, you know, blood, sweat, and tears kind of thing. And how that made them better. 
these guys fundamentally think that you need to take away every moment of challenge for people across this country. These moments that actually are the ones that make us who we are, the strongest that we've ever been. Let's take every single one of those away and say, you know what, the government, we're going to put on our little cotton gloves and we're going to you know, pat you and say everything's going to be okay and we're going to take care of it for you. Don't worry about it. You don't have to overcome anything in life. It's truly the way that you explained what they're trying to do domestically, I think is really well said because it, ultimately what it's about is sort of rearranging the entire American dream, right? And, and it's not about opportunity to succeed at any longer. It's about sustaining sort of mediocrity at best. And the way that they've reordered the priorities of the United States in just eight months. Can you believe, by the way, it's only been eight months that these people have been in charge? No, no. It, you know, they, they loved to hammer President Trump, right? But you look at it this, at its most basic level. Everything that they hated about President Trump wasn't about him taking away any kind of freedom from any individual. What they fundamentally despised was the freedom that he was giving to, to people across the country and the protection that he was giving to Americans, the way that he was hammering people that, that made agreements with the United States of America but weren't living up to them, like NATO allies, the way that he was saying, hey, China, you've been taking advantage of us for years. I'm not gonna you know, bend over in front of you like I dropped the soap. You know, I'm gonna go out there and hammer you back. This is what's going to happen. And that's what, what people were so fundamentally afraid to, to fight back and be aggressive and be who we are as Americans, which is my mind, you know, I always look at America like this Norman Rockwell painting, or if you've ever seen any of those, that's how I see America. And, and they want to say, no, you're looking at one of those Norman Rockwell paintings uh, that's wrong, it's suppressive, it's woke. Anything that you do to, to prepare yourself or your family or your next generation or those that come behind you, um, you're giving an advantage to somebody. So that's, you know, some kind of uh, doing some kind of downtrodden to, to, to anybody else that didn't prepare. It's absolute crap. <laughs> Mass, I think you're the only guy who has the distinction of working Norman Rockwell and prison rules into the same paragraph. <laughs> Let's congratulations on that. <laughs> if he was still around, he might be able to do a painting for that. I don't know. <laughs> Let's, we'll keep that one away from my uh, frontal lobe. <laughs> it'd probably look like it looked like Shawshank Redemption or something like that, right? So, I don't know. I love it. All right. So, final final thoughts before we get into our big questions. Um, you know, we're still struggling with COVID, obviously, and you're still struggling in Florida and, you know, basically every state in the union. And we were told during the course of the campaign that Joe Biden had a plan for all of this and basically that the pandemic itself could be, could be controlled behind the resolute desk. And he, he showed up on day one with Americans being vaccinated at a million people a, a day. And yet here we are in, in arguably a worse place, um, you know, nine months, eight, nine months after he was inaugurated. Uh, what's your take on the state of, of the pandemic? Uh, you know, it's a state of taking away freedom. I live in the great state of Florida. COVID is serious. I I've lost friends. I have friends that have lost family members, you know, really unexpected. I, I knew members of Congress, friends of mine that said, I didn't think I was going to make the turn. You know, I honestly thought I was on death's doorstep. That was never the case for me. I don't even know if I ever had it or, or, or not. Um, so no doubt that it's serious. But it it's never so serious to the point that you say, I get to take away the fundamental freedoms uh, of Americans across the country. The government gets to decide that they can take a needle, stick it in your arm, 
and inject something into your body. That's, that's just not a, a, a freedom that the government has. That's the government acting like, like rulers instead of leaders, which is, we don't have rulers in this country. We're not a monarchy. That's not what the United States of America is. It's not that kind of system. And, and saying, we get to mandate that you do this, 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 this. Somebody wants to wear 10 masks. I don't care. Wear 10 masks. Somebody wants to say, hey, your business, you can't come in my doors without doing this. That's your business. That's your own private thing. But you got to be free to do those things, just like I'm free to go in your store or not go in your store, free to, to order my groceries online or, or go in the store and get them, go out to dinner or not. That freedom cannot be taken away in the midst of all of this because what's the next step? Well, now you got to get the uh, booster shot. And if you don't get the booster shot, you're going to lose your job. Uh, then after that, you have to get a, a booster every year, just like you have to get the, uh, the, the flu shot every single year. Because anybody that thinks that COVID is totally going away and never going to be here, it's not going away. It's, it's going to keep changing, just like the flu changes every year. We're going to be stuck with it for decades upon decades. But the government's going to, what, every year give you a check, say you don't have to go to work, you don't have to pay your rent, but you can't be evicted. It's not even like Section 8 housing or uh, or domain, at least an imminent domain, they give you a fair price here. You're just a landlord that's SOL, um, you know, but all this is going to happen because of the name of a pandemic and for, try to find a way to take away your freedoms. That can't be the way that we go forward. Oh, Congressman Mast, absolutely. It, totally one of the guys who gets it. What you just said is exactly right. This has all just been basically an opportunity for Democrats to sort of reorder and centralize government and tell people what they can and can't do and then send them a check for the trouble. It, it's... Um, it has really been eye-opening. I wish I could talk to you all day about it. I want to get to three big questions that all of the minions pay close attention to here. Um, the first one is, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Hey, you ever been to Del Frisco's? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, if I had a last meal, my favorite meal there would probably be their butter cake. Uh, it's like this little round cake. It's got whipped cream. It's got caramel on it. Probably lots of butter in it, I assume, by the name. I'd probably do a three-course meal of butter cake. <laughs> Just three, three servings of butter cake. <laughs> you know, like the first one you eat with a salad fork, the next one you eat with a bigger fork, and then the third one you eat with a spoon because you're actually eating it as dessert, something like that. Wash it down with an IPA. Yeah, that's there you go. It's all about table manners in terms of the utensils, and then and then you take it down and grab an IPA. I love it. Great. Yeah, I, I might I might stuck my you know my napkin in my you know in my shirt collar or something like that to eat it. I mean, it's your last meal. There's no rules, right? You can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So if you never got into politics, never got into the the political side at all, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? You know, love the military, never planned to leave it. But honestly, I've always wanted to be in space, be an astronaut, yes. um, SpaceX, NASA, Virgin Galactic. I don't care. You pick one. I would love to be in space so much to the point that, um, you know, I was a bomb technician. You talked about that. There's a couple of degrees out there for explosive engineering and things like that. And if you've ever looked into the astronaut candidate program, there's certain check boxes, requirements you have to meet. One of them is they want you to have an engineering degree. So I even reached out to NASA. I was like, listen, would an explosives engineering degree count as a science engineering degree? You know, cause I wasn't trying to make it overly difficult. Maybe we've got to blow stuff up in space at some point. Right. Seems I watch like Star Wars and Star Trek. Seems right. like it could happen at some point. Absolutely. So space. I in, find a way to be in space. In any word back, do they say we want to blow stuff up? We're interested in talking to you? It was a little bit of a gray area as to whether <laughs> that would actually check the box for a degree. But I think I could have got it over the finish line and maybe I still will. 
I love it. Okay. Well, we're going to keep an eye on that because that is, that it seems like that would be a perfect fit. <laughs> All right. So yeah, and look, I take, I take up less space too. You know, they talk about like the weight, uh, you know, how much it costs per pound to move something into space. Like I take up about half the space as most people. So I think it's common sense. <laughs> common sense leadership from Brian Mass. I love it. All right. So third and final question, what motivates you more? the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And the way that we break this down is basically the, the thrill of victory is the glass half filled, full optimist, always sort of charging up the mountain. The agony of defeat guys like Michael Jordan, right? It's the person who every single day wakes up absolutely terrified that somebody could pull one over on them, right? It's the agony of defeat. So anyway, what motivates you more? Yeah, no doubt they go hand in hand, but I, I got to say the other side, the, the thrill of victory, right? Because victory is what inspires. Like inspiration is one of those things that you can't buy inspiration. You, you, it's almost impossible to manifest. If you're an athlete, you're a runner, a swimmer, whatever, you see that person in front of you and you're like, you know what? I'm going to overtake that person. And like you get the hairs stand up on the back of your neck, you get chills and you get this surge of energy because you know you're going to overtake that next person. And then that next person, and then that next person, that inspiration that comes, you don't get inspiration, in my opinion, from losing, you get, you know, a, a drop in endorphins and things like that. You win, you want to do the next that you want to win at the next thing, you know, be inspired. And now you're inspiring other people to elevate their game. If you lose, then they don't have to elevate their game as high to, to be better. They just have to elevate their game a little bit because you're a loser and, and they don't have to do that much to, to beat you. It's, uh, so I think uh, the victory. I think victory brings up, uh, raises everybody's boats. I love it. I love it. Great explanation. Listen, Congressman Brian Mast, I cannot thank you enough for spending some time with us today. We'd love to keep checking in with you periodically and get your updated thoughts on the world. Thanks. Hey, I appreciate you having me. All right. First of all, the guy's an absolute hero. He's as serious as the day is long. He takes his business extremely seriously, but he's got a sense of humor. Yeah. Got yeah. a sense of humor. I appreciated a few of those blasts in there. Uh, so, I mean, entertaining. Uh, I hope that that Mast and everyone else puts their hard hat on and goes to work on Millie. You know, we talked to him before the Millie news broke, so I didn't get a chance, but he's going to get his chance on Millie and everybody else. And so, you know, we need to, we need to make sure that those guys hold feet to the fire over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. It's incredible. The, the amount of military experience we have in this, you know, younger crop of Republican lawmakers. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is, it's a generational, you know, class of people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. hundred percent. Great episode. Fellas. Absolutely. So, that's another banger of an episode, gents. Outstanding work. Uh, and a great interview, really. Master's incredible guy. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.